I'll be preaching five of the sermons. Pastor Andrew will be preaching three of them. I'm real excited about this series. Let me get you to think about this. Most people have a secret. Think about your secret. And I, I don't want you to think about the secret that if people were to know that about you, you might be embarrassed. But instead, think of something about your story that if people knew it about you, they would find you more interesting or at least know a little bit more about you. I like thinking about this, and so I asked our staff, uh, after thinking about it in my own story, what is something about them that you may not know that would help you to understand a little more fully who they are? So, secret about me, some of you know this, uh, I, I've done an Ironman. So, in just almost three years ago, I did an Ironman, and uh, in the form of any good, this, this picture is actually taken about three hours into a six-hour bike ride right before I did a marathon. That thumbs up right there was like, what in the world am, am I doing? You know, why am I here? And there are other pictures of me on the run, but those are not, um, those are not, those are not good. I look like I hate life and everybody around me. And uh, secrets. Um, Katie, our administrative assistant, uh, you might not know this about her. She was, she was adopted. And then also, did you know about Katie that uh, she was won the state championship multiple times for drill riding at the horse shows. Any rednecks out there? Anybody appreciate that? Anybody? Yeah, there's, there's Katie right there. And uh, that's pretty awesome. Pretty awesome. Uh, Andrew, you might not know this about Andrew, the uh, associate pastor. Uh, Andrew played college soccer. I don't know if you can tell in this picture. You probably can't, but he's, he's right here. Something like that. He played college soccer. And Ty, he, Ty is the director of music. Three years in a row, Ty went to computer camp. And I actually found a picture of him at computer camp. Right there. <laughs> so these are secrets, things about the staff that you might not know. I'll be honest, I was looking forward to that moment ever since I found that picture. I just want to sit and enjoy it for a moment. There are things about you that if someone were to find them out, they'd find your story to be more compelling. I believe that the Bible, when it talks about Jesus in Mark's gospel and all the gospels, that there are things about the way that we see Jesus that help us to more fully understand who he is. Maybe it's a secret to you. And some of the things in this series that we'll be discovering in this series called Secret Jesus are, are things that may be familiar to you, but, but I hope that along the way you'll discover something about Jesus that you did not know. Because here's what I believe. When you see Jesus, you more fully understand who God is. And every, every encounter between Jesus and people in his life reveals something about who he is. And ultimately, they reveal something about the Father. Jesus says in John chapter 14, verse 9, Anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. So the more clearly we see Jesus, the more fully we understand God. Which is why we're going to do the work in Mark's gospel to see who Jesus really is. So the story today comes out of Mark chapter 2. And it's a story about Jesus 
And during a time where he was quite popular. And in verse 2, we read these words. And when he, being Jesus, returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, the home probably Peter's house. And many were gathered together so that there was no room, not even a door. And he was preaching a word to them. So here's Jesus. He's popular. He is in this home. The word gets out that he's there. People have begun hearing stories of this man, this rabbi Jesus, who can do more than just speak with authority. He may, in fact, have a supernatural power to heal. And so the people are crowded in this house, and Jesus is preaching the word to them. Now, I don't want to just move too quickly past that idea of him preaching the word to them, because it makes us wonder, what word is he preaching to them? Well, we actually read about the word that he's preaching to them in chapter 1, verse 14, where it says, Jesus came into Galilee proclaiming the gospel of God. The word gospel means good news. And here's what the gospel is. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. So the kingdom of God is the presence of God in the world in a new way. It's the places in the world where God, through His Spirit, is restoring that which has been broken by sin. So the kingdom of God is being established through the ministry of Jesus Christ. He's inviting people into it with this word, repent. Repent means to turn away from your way of life and turn towards God's way for your life and believe in the good news. The good news of the Bible is this, that though we've sinned and been separated from God because of our sin, God has made a way through Christ for our sin to be forgiven, for us to be uh, the recipients of new life in Christ. That's the gospel throughout the Bible. And Jesus begins preaching this. And they're in this house. People are, no doubt, curious about what Jesus is saying, interested in what he is doing. And in verse 3, the passage reads, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when these four men could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. So just for your understanding, um, the average home in Capernaum held about 50 people if they were standing close to one another. And typically, I think I have a picture of something that might have helped us understand what a Capernaum home is. I guess not. All right, so typically in one of these homes, there was a staircase... And on the outside uh, of this home, there was a staircase, and it gave him access to the roof. And the roof was made of branches laid over beams and covered with dried mud so somebody could dig through it. And so this is clearly like a computer rendering of what it was like. These aren't actually what people in first century Jerusalem looked like or Capernaum looked like. But it was a, a house where the walls were made out of mud. The top was made out of like a thatch that was held together by mud. And so here's the picture. People are crammed into this home. And I want you to just consider the fact, first of all, that there's a paralytic man, and he's in desperate need for healing. And he has four friends, and they care deeply for him, enough so that they're going to make great effort to get this man to Jesus. Their effort really is quite remarkable. 
not only did they have to carry him to the house and up on the roof, they had to risk the social consequences of tearing up someone's house to get him near. I mean, you wouldn't be happy if this was your home. Like, you've had a party. Jesus is there, which is cool. All of a sudden, somebody's tearing your roof open. Well, what I want to pause and just point out is that in the Gospels, in fact, throughout the Bible, we see this movement of God through his people where when people have experienced something about who God is and what he can do, our natural reaction to that is to try to get other people to him, right? It's really called evangelism or missional living or there's all kinds of other words that we can use to describe it. Well, these four men know that Jesus can do something supernatural. They've heard about it. So they take this paralytic and they carry him to the roof. They open up the roof because they know that they need to get this paralytic to Jesus. They go to great effort to help this man meet Jesus. Stop their ordinary activities to help him get near Jesus. Now, I just want you to think for a moment about the people in your life that are like this paralytic. Who in your life needs to meet Jesus? I mean, they may not be physically paralyzed, but there's something in their life that is paralyzing them from experiencing the kind of life that God wants them to. Who is in your life? Maybe you can be one of the four people in the corner of that mat, helping them to meet Jesus. And I promise you it will take effort and it will take time. It will take intentionality. It will take a disruption of your ordinary activity to get them to Jesus. Who in your life introduced you to Jesus? Maybe it was somebody that talked to you about the good news of salvation in Christ. Or maybe it was simply somebody who brought you to church. Just think about it. So here are these four friends. They bring this paralytic to the roof. They open it up. They lower him down to be in the presence of Jesus because they knew that Jesus had the power to heal. But there's something about Jesus that they did not know that's about to be revealed, a secret that's about to be revealed. They did not know that Jesus had a greater power, and that is that he had the power to forgive sins because, as we learn from this passage throughout the Bible, he was, in fact, God in the flesh. We believe that God was fully man. We believe that he was also fully God. So this man is lowered into the room. People expect Jesus to heal him physically because they think this is his greatest need. Catch this. When he was lowered in, people did not think, oh, this man needs his sins forgiven. No, what did they think? Oh, this man is a paralytic. He needs to be healed physically. And verse 5, we pick up. When Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now, this would have been shocking to those people in the room to hear Jesus say this. Absolutely stunning. It's interesting to note before I say more about that, that Jesus acts in this paralytic's life because of the faith of those that brought him, brought him to them. Somehow God does this where he involves us in the 
the response and the interaction that others get with the Lord. When he saw their faith, sons, your sins are forgiven. Now, at the end of this encounter of all the things that are about to happen, we read that the the crowd was amazed and glorified God, saying, we've never seen anything like this. But there's something else happening in the room. The scribes, who were the religious teachers, some of them, they're questioning Jesus in their hearts. Mark chapter 2, verse 6 says, now some of the scribes were sitting there questioning in their hearts. Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Now, some people have called this story one part of what's called the conflict narratives of Mark's gospel because Jesus was not a priest and no one had offered sacrifices. And according to religious tradition, sins were atoned for in the temple. So there was no basis for Jesus to say that this man's sins were forgiven. And certainly he could not be the one to pronounce it. And so by doing so, he is in fact claiming to be God. I mean, these four men bring the paralytic to Jesus. All they want is a healing. And what Jesus has done is something greater. He has addressed the spiritual state of this man and his need for forgiveness. I mean, sometimes we think what we need is more money or a physical healing or some kind of relational issue in this life to be healed. But oftentimes what God is saying, hey, there may be a deeper issue, and that is the issue of sin and your distance from God because of your sin. So let's deal with that first. Well, when Jesus spoke these words to this man, your sins are forgiven, the scribes were upset by it. And they were so stunned by it. Eventually, by the way, in Mark chapter 14, verse 64, we see that Jesus was crucified as being a blasphemer. So this issue would not go away. They weren't yet convinced. And, frankly, there, were, there was no shortage of people that were coming around during this time claiming to be divine. And the scribes are maybe thinking when Jesus says these words. I mean, everybody thinks this man needs to be healed physically, which feels difficult. But Jesus speaks and says, your sins are forgiven. The scribes may, in fact, believe that Jesus is trying to fool everyone because in their eyes, what's more difficult than just saying your sins are forgiven is actually healing him. It's easy to say your sins are forgiven and not actually heal the man, which is something that they could all see. Jesus perceived this attitude in their hearts. And I just want to kind of bring to your mind the reality that Jesus knows what is in the heart of the skeptic. Jesus knows their hearts. He knows what's in the heart of the skeptic. And maybe today you're skeptical. Maybe you've experienced some form of of people who claim Christianity living in a way that's caused you to doubt everything that Jesus claims about himself. Maybe you're skeptical that it could be true. Maybe you have taken it on yourself to study world religions and it's created more confusion for you than it has clarity. Maybe you're skeptical that that Jesus is in fact who he claims to be in this passage, that he is God. 
Jesus speaks up in this moment. He says, why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the paralytic, your sins are forgiven? Or to say, rise, take up your bed and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. Jesus' claim that he had the authority to forgive sin was, in fact, a claim to be God, as I've said. The skeptic may not have believed that Jesus could forgive sin, but an actual demonstration of God's power would at least cause them to consider the possibility that Jesus was who he claimed to be. You know, um, when I have doubts... I consider the ways in which I've seen God do miracles in the lives of people that I know and in my own life. This week I experienced something that was a very tangible kind of way where I was reminded that God's presence is real and is working. I was in my office and I... uh, was, was walking to my car and something just spoke to my heart and said, go next door and see how the owner of the CrossFit gym is doing. And I don't do this frequently, although I exercise there from time to time. I know her okay. Um, I just, in my heart, it was like God spoke to my heart. And so I said, okay. So I walked over there and she was talking to somebody else. And so I just popped my head in and I said, hey. And she said, hey, Russell, how's it going? And then I left because she was talking to somebody. Not too much later, I began to talk to a friend, and he asked me to be praying for Hannah, who is the owner of the gym. I couldn't believe it. I said, you'll never guess what God told me to check on her and see how things are going before you even said anything. What's going on? And so he began to share with me that she had a little bit of a... uh, a hard week when one of her very close friends committed suicide and so I knew it. I knew that God had done something very real in my own heart had pushed me physically forward to go and see how she was doing because he wanted me to be a part of her feeling cared for and loved on. And I also had the opportunity the next day to go back around and tell her and I said, hey, this is going to sound really strange and she's not in the church. It's going to sound really strange, but I remember yesterday when I came by and said hello, and she said, yeah, I remember that. And I said, I feel like God wanted me to do that. And then I found out you've had a hard week, and she began to begin to tear up. She was like, whoa, crazy. <laughs> I said, I just, we began to really talk about kind of what was going on in her life, and I didn't force the gospel on her or begin to try to like, you know, preach at her. I just try to care for her and love her in the midst of her sadness of losing a very close friend of hers. You see, when I have doubts, I just think about moments like this where God is working miracles. I mean, I wasn't healed physically in that moment, but I know God spoke to my heart and told me to go do it, and I did it, and clearly it was an evidence of God's supernatural power. Maybe you have a story, something in your life where you know that God showed up and changed something in the natural. 
And it reminds you or teaches you that God also works in the supernatural like he has done here through Jesus who is forgiving this man's sins. You may be a skeptic. Like these scribes, you may think that Jesus is interesting enough that you'll get into a room with him or in a conversation about him, but you doubt that Jesus is God. But what I want you to consider is that is it at least possible that Jesus is God? Can you think of a way in which God has done something in your life or something's happened to you or someone that you know and love or maybe even the story that I shared is like, whoa, that's interesting. That will create in you a sense of like, this all may be true. I don't actually think that I can reason with you and convince you that Jesus is God, but I do think that I can ask you to consider the reasonability of the claim of Jesus that he is a God. And then I trust that the Spirit will convince you. So Jesus speaks to the paralytic. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the man did. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. Wouldn't you have loved to have been in that room? I'd be like, what? <laughs> that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. Jesus is God. This is the secret that is revealed to the people in this room, in Capernaum, and it's also by the power of the Spirit of God being revealed to you. The question remains, what does Jesus being God enable him to do for us? 2016. Well, two things. First thing it enables him to do for us is forgive sins. Now, if you're new to the church, you go, oh, here we go, we're talking about sins. Next thing you know, you're going to be talking about money. Uh, let me just talk about sins. You know, a sin is, according to the Bible's definition, where we miss the mark. It's where we, we mess up. And all of us have sinned and fallen short of God's glory. All of us. Even the best of you. And this is a capable, bright group of people. But you still have missed the mark at some point in your life for living a completely righteous life. What is made possible because Jesus is God is that your sin can be forgiven and you can be given new life. You see, the Bible teaches that at the end of our lives, when we die, we'll stand before God and we'll give an account for our lives. And if God looks at our lives and he sees a pretty good life, but unrighteousness in our life, then we'll suffer the just payment for that sin, which is separation from God for eternity in a place called hell. But if when God looks at our life, he sees the blood of Christ, which is who raised sin, then he will look at you and I and say, well done, my good and faithful servant. And we get to spend eternity with God in the new heaven and new earth. Life, the death, the resurrection of Christ enables God to forgive sin. You say, Russell, you don't know how bad I've been. Or 
maybe more dangerously, you may be saying, Russell, you don't know how good I am. But what I'm saying to you is that no one can stand righteous before God without Jesus Christ. What does Jesus, being God, enable him to do for us? He enables God to forgive our sin. It also enables God to work in our life in things like healing. It's interesting to note that Jesus emerged from obscurity to being known among Jews in just three years. And again, he wasn't the only one who claimed to be God or claimed to be a Messiah. But in just three years, he led what has become the largest movement in history. Eventually, the popularity of Christ and his claim to be God got him killed because it threatened to topple the empty religious systems. Why did so many people crowd around him? Others claimed to be Lord, but eventually they were found out as to be liars or lunatics. But Jesus had the power to heal. So not only did he speak a word of spiritual, eternal significance... Your sins are forgiven. But he also provided a confirmation of his supernatural power with healing. Well, maybe you're a skeptic. You're saying, is there any evidence of Jesus providing or doing miracles outside of the Bible? Because the Bible is saying what it wants to say about Jesus. Trust me, you're not the first one to ask that question. And interestingly, the most trusted non-Christian Jewish historian was a man by the name of Josephus, and his writings are the most exhaustive, lengthy, existing historical documents of Jewish history. And not only does he acknowledge the resurrection of Jesus from the dead, but he speaks these words in this book called Antiquities in chapter 18, verse 63. So I very rarely will put on the screen a quotation out of a non-biblical book. But I want to do it. Here's what it says. Josephus says this about Jesus. And we have the question before us for the skeptic. Did Jesus really do supernatural things? He says this. About this time lived Jesus, a wise man, if indeed one ought to call him a man. For he was the achiever of extraordinary deeds. Like supernatural deeds is what it means. He was a teacher of those who accept the truth gladly. He won over many Jews and many of the Greeks. He was the Messiah. So did Jesus heal? If he did, it at least stirs in us the pot that, we're, that it's possible that he is also in fact God, which he claimed to be, and is able to forgive sins. Josephus says he did. And the greatest evidence of Jesus being divine was when he was raised from the dead after being crucified. There are a number of ways to look at this and to have our hearts and our minds stirred to believe it's true. Not only do we believe in our hearts because the Holy Spirit awakens us to belief, but logically we consider the fact that when Jesus was crucified, he was alone. And after the crucifixion, when he was buried and raised from the dead, he showed himself to some of his earlier followers. They were so convinced that he was raised from the dead that those early apostles and those early disciples 
preached it to the point where they were killed for it. They were so convinced that they saw him. Jesus is able to forgive sins. He provides a confirmation of this and his ability also to heal. It is no secret. Jesus is God. And this secret revealed changes everything about how we live. Do you believe? Do you believe? If you're here today and you came in being a skeptic, or you came in today feeling like you're far from God, I want you to know that the same Jesus that met that paralytic in that home can meet you today. I didn't see anybody being brought in on a mat, but maybe a family member or a friend brought you here today because they care about you and they know that you're, there's something in your life that is very ill. And what I want to say to you is that Jesus can forgive sin and Jesus can heal. Stand up and walk. Some of you are living as if you're paralyzed. You're remaining on the mat in this life. When Jesus is saying, stand up and walk. For all of us that have believed in our hearts that Jesus is God, we'll do what this man no doubt did. We'll tell others, hey, you'll never guess what just happened in that home in Capernaum. These four guys brought me on a mat to Jesus and I got in there and I thought it, I was there only for physical healing, but he in fact offered forgiveness for my sins. Let me take you to meet this Jesus. When we're healed, when we're touched by God through Christ, we tell others. And not only that, we have hope. We have hope. It is no secret. Jesus is God. And the secret revealed changes everything about how we live. Do you believe? Would you bow your head? Let's think on and pray about these things. I just want you to, in the quietness of this moment, to consider, have you acknowledged to God that you have sinned Do you want God to forgive your sin? If so, do you believe that Jesus has made a way as the God-man for your sin to be forgiven through his death and resurrection? If so, right there where you are, and whatever words make sense to you, you could tell God, God, forgive me for my sin. I want to experience new life. 
that little transaction in your heart is what it means to become a Christian, to be saved or to be born again, become a follower of Jesus. Still others of you, you can think of someone who's paralyzed. How will you get them to Jesus? Will it be through taking them to a meal and sitting down with them and sharing them your own story of how God's worked in your life? Will it be a simple invite to church where you know they'll hear the good news of the Bible every time we gather? just makes sense for you to tell others. It's the current of the gospel from people who believe that Jesus is God to those that have not. So we're going to take a moment here and respond in song. If you're here and you have said yes to Jesus for the very first line, you've crossed over that line of faith. And I, I just want you to know that we want to know about it. And the way you can let us know about it is there's a communication card on your chair. And you could just put your name there. And then there's a, there's a box that says, you know, want to become a follower of Christ. And uh, just let us know so we can encourage you. But let's all respond to this beautiful truth. Jesus is God. Lauren, would you lead us?